Good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Ben, if you don't know who I am. And uh, we're going to start a new uh, sermon series today, something that we're going to go through for the rest of the summer. <clears throat> and it's called Know the Why. Uh, it's about why we do what we do as a church. So we're going to kind of cover a broad range of topics. We're going to talk about why we serve, why we go on missions. Uh, we're going to talk about why we do community groups and why we do that sort of thing. Today, we're going to uh, talk about something that we've already done this morning as a church. Uh, we're going to talk about why we sing, why we sing. We're going to talk about worship this morning. And uh, I'm really excited to open up the scriptures and see what it has to say about what it means to worship, what it means to sing out to God. Um, but here's also what, what happened when I was preparing for this topic. I started to sort of pull on this thread of worship. And I found that as I did that through the scriptures, that it was attached to everything. Uh, <coughs> so I thought, this will just be a really easy, uh, small topic, but it turns out that actually uh, by talking about worship, we're going to talk about everything today. Uh, so I hope you're ready for that. Uh, but it's sort of like worship is this undercurrent or this underground river that sort of flows underneath all of our life of faith. And uh, we're going to talk about some aspects of that and sort of um, get some windows into what, what worship is and what it does and why we do it and, and, and what happens when we do it. Uh, but we're not going to be able to cover everything. So I encourage you to just dig into the scriptures for yourself. If, if today uh, something sparks in your imagination or in your heart, I encourage you to keep pursuing it, to discover what God wants to teach you about what it means to worship and to live a worshipful life. Because we're just going to get um, some little ideas. We're going to we're just sort of sprinkle some, some things through here uh, as far as what worship is and why we sing. And to do that, I want to look at uh, the book of First Chronicles, a book that we don't look at all that often, uh, chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can op open it up there. We're going to sort of anchor today in First Chronicles 16, but we're going to jump all over the scriptures uh, and, and, and see what it has to say about worship. And, and what's happened in, in First Chronicles uh, in six, chapter 16 is that King David, you guys remember King David, the Israelite king, uh, he had just taken over as king. Like he was just crowned, Saul the old king was out, and, and David was trying to restore to his people a heart for the Lord. He was trying to bring them back to worship of their God, to faithfulness with their God, to restore the teachings, right? He, he had done all these things um, to make sure that the, the word of God was read to the people on a regular basis. And he was starting to set up uh, people to do worship, to, to play music and sing. And one of the things that he decides they need to do is they need to go and they need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem to be the center of their cultural life. The Ark of the Covenant was something that God had given his people to be a physical, tangible representation of his presence. And in the Ark of the Covenant were lots of uh, artifacts of their relationship with God, like the, the, the original stone tablets of the covenant, um, their relationship, their promised relationship to God. There, uh, Moses' staff was in there to remind them that God had saved them and rescued them from Egypt. And what had happened was that the Philistines had actually captured the Ark from Israel because they knew it was important to them. They had captured it and then had actually brought it back, but it was like way out on the edge of the country and they had just left it in some guy's house and it was like not in the middle of, of their, um, uh, their cultural life. And, uh, and one of the things David actually says is during the reign of Saul, the previous king, during the reign of Saul, no one inquired about the ark. No one asked, well, hey, where is that? What happened to that thing? Where did it go? And so David says, what we need to do is we need to go get it 
We need to bring it back to Jerusalem in honor, and we need to let this physical manifestation of God's presence be the center of our life. And so they go and they get it, and they bring it back. And David begins to appoint people to sing praises before the ark as they carry it back into Jerusalem. He appoints the best musicians he can find and songwriters and priests. And they come and they just sing praise and glory and shout praise before the ark as it enters the city. And then as it's set up in the tent that David had prepared for it. And so we, we see in Chronicles 16 this glorious uh, praise song. We see the text of this praise song that the people of God begin to sing as they bring the Ark of the Covenant, God's physical presence with them, back home. And we're going to sort of pick apart bits of this praise song and see what it has to teach us about what it means to worship and, uh, and see if we can and sort of mine some things out of it. So we're going to look at First Chronicles 16, starting in verse 8. It says this, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Praise him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. So we're not even five minutes into the sermon, and we've already had a command here in the scriptures to sing to the Lord. Sing to him, sing praise to him. This is verse nine. Tell of his wonderful acts. Now, uh, for many of us, uh, when we hear that command, sing to the Lord, we're like, yeah, we, I guess we do do that in church, okay? And for some of us, it's like, that's my favorite thing. I just love worshiping God through song. And I come on Sunday mornings and I just raise my hands and I, I sing out and I just, I just praise him for all that he is. And then and when, I'm, when I'm throughout the week, I'm in my car and I open the sunroof just so I can lift my hands and just praise God. God and sing out to his name. And some of us are like, that's not so much me. I come to church and I sort of mumble through the worship songs and feel very self-conscious and wonder why we're even doing this, but I guess it's what you do in church. And then I'm finally relieved when we can sit down and just listen to somebody talk. So many of us have a complicated relationship to singing in worship. And if you think about it, it's kind of weird, right? Where else in our culture do people go to sing together? We go to listen to somebody sing, right? We'll even listen to a group of people sing in a performance. But we don't gather as a group to sing together really ever, do we? It's one of the things that makes Christians a little bit weird, and yet we are commanded to do it in the scriptures. And before we unpack why we sing, uh, let me also point out that this is not the only way to worship God. Yes, the Bible is full of commands to sing, but even in those verses we just read, it says, give praise to the Lord and proclaim his name. Sometimes, sometimes worship can just look as simple as saying the name of Jesus and just reveling in that saving name of Jesus. It says, give uh, glory in his holy name. Let your hearts, the hearts of those who seek the Lord, rejoice. Sometimes it can just be celebrating in your heart to the Lord. Oh, Lord, you're so good. That can be worship, right? Or verse 11, look to the Lord and to his strength. Seek his face. Just looking to the Lord, turning your mind to him can be an act of of worship. There are many ways to worship in prayer, in song, through shouting, through physical acts, or through mental and spiritual in, internal acts. But one of the things that we're told to do is to sing. In fact, all through the Old Testament, we're told to sing, sing to the Lord. It seems like every other psalm in the book of Psalms is like sing, shout, sing, shout, praises to God. 
right? And we're told this, and it's not even just an Old Testament command where it's like, that's something they used to do, but now that we have Jesus, we just sort of have these quiet moments in our hearts. Even in the New Testament, we are commanded to sing. Look at this from Ephesians 5. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded to sing and make music from our hearts. It seems that all through the New Testament even, singing is something that we are meant to do as one of many ways in which we worship God. Why is that? You might be like, yeah, but Ben, I don't have an ear for a tune. I'm pretty tone deaf. My singing isn't very pretty. That's why I don't like to sing on Sunday mornings. But it still says, it doesn't say sing and make music to the Lord if you're a good musician and a good singer, right? It just says sing and make music from your heart. Whatever's in your heart, sing it out to the Lord. And it can kind of seem strange to us because for us, right, it's what's going on in the heart that matters. It's not really what we're doing with our mouths. But I think we get a clue as to why this is by looking at this verse in context. Always a good idea to look at the context. So let's go back to verse 17 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. It says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. That's a weird thing to bring up, but we'll talk about wine in a second. Which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Singing, speaking to one another with uh, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So he's talking about filling your body with something that influences your actions, and then participating in debauchery, which is things we do with our bodies that are not what we need to be doing according to God's will, Right? And so he's saying, instead of being, letting these internal influences from elsewhere in and letting it make you act in this way, instead, be filled with the Spirit and let it make you act this way instead. See, for Paul, the reason we sing is because there is another influence or impulse in our bodies besides ourselves. Just like a drunk person is influenced by something else besides themselves, and it may cause them to act in debauchery, we as believers have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in us is crying out, and not just so that we can sit there and go, this feels good, right? But so that our bodies can be engaged in action out of that, right? That we, we bring, we, what we're feeling inside spills out in action. We use our bodies to make music to the Lord. And, and in fact, the New Testament, we, we kind of don't really think about it this way, but the New Testament talks a lot about our bodies. It talks about what we are to do with our physical matter, flesh and blood kind of bodies, right? In Romans 12, 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he's using the sacrifice language, right? In, in the Old Testament, in Israel, sacrifice was the primary mode of worship, right? To, to re- be redeemed from sins, you would sacrifice an animal. When you had a thanksgiving offering to God, you would sacrifice an animal, right? And so, and so you, you'd take something that was alive, you'd make it dead. And now he's saying, no, no, instead now, through Jesus, what we're going to do instead is we're going to offer our very bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is what true and proper worship is going to look like. See, for Paul, for the writers of the New Testament, for Jesus himself, it wasn't just about your spiritual life, it was about your whole being, including your body. They knew, Paul knew, what we, I think, have forgotten in some ways, which is that you can't separate body and spirit. 
And what your spirit is doing manifests in your body, right? Psychologists and doctors know this really well. Sometimes people have something going on in their mind and it makes them terribly physically ill. And as they can get healing in their mind or their heart, their body begins to respond likewise. The opposite is also true. What we do with our bodies affects our spirit. You are not just matter. You are not just atoms put thrown together to make a body. What you do with your body affects your spirit, which means this. When we sing out praise to God, we are actually doing something that begins to change our spirit. That, that what we're doing is taking an intangible reality and we're making it tangible through an act of incarnation. What we do with our bodies actually affects our spirit. This is why people lift their hands during worship, right? Because the posture of our body when we sing, when we pray, actually makes a difference. If I throw up my hands in a, in a, in a uh, posture of surrender, of openness, That's actually going to affect what my spirit is doing. If when I pray to the Lord, I get down on my knees as if before his throne, that's actually going to affect what my spirit is doing in prayer. Your body and your spirit cannot be separated. And that might seem strange to you, right? Well, I thought we were Christians. I thought we were spiritual people. I thought all we cared about was the spirit, was what's going on spiritually in our spiritual lives. The Bible cares about what's going on in the whole person. In fact, look at this. This is John 1.14. The word, that is Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of God, God himself, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know what? If God wanted to just do something for us spiritually speaking... He probably could have done it without coming to earth, without taking on bodily form. But he wasn't just interested in redeeming your soul and your spirit and your mind. He's interested in redeeming your whole being, including your flesh and bones. That's why the scriptures, I'm always shocked when I read this. I'm all, whenever I read the New Testament and the writers are always talking about the resurrection of our bodies, I'm like, really? Yes, Jesus comes not just to transform your mind or your spirit or your heart, but to actually change the way you use your physical body and to actually redeem your body for his glory, which means this, Jesus himself coming in the flesh means that what we do with our bodies matters, which is why, you know, it's great to stay home from church and listen to the Facebook feed or to later in the week listen to the podcast of the sermon, but it is always better, always better to gather in real time and space and interact with one another and with God because he has made us spiritual beings and physical beings and the two cannot be separated. So when we sing, we are doing two things. We are responding to the spirit within us through a physical action, and it is affecting how we let that spirit move. We are also taking an abstract, non-physical truth that we believe, and we are doing what Jesus did, incarnating. We are taking something that exists sort of in our minds and as an abstract idea or as a point of theology, and instead of just letting it remain an abstract, we are bringing it into time and space, the work of incarnation. We are doing with our bodies what our spirits are meant to be doing as well. This is why when the Bible talks about worship, it says, sing, shout, dance, lift up your hands. It says do, engage with, and let there be a physical response to what is true and going on in your spirit. That is one of the reasons, there's a couple other ones, but that's one of the reasons why we sing. 
why we come together on a Sunday morning and we sing, it's not about if you sound good. It's, it's not about if you know the song super well. It's about knowing that God is good and he has done all these things for us and we believe these things about him and so we put them into physical practice. That's what it's about. It's really about him. It's not about us. We have a great worship team and they sound awesome, but you know what my favorite thing is about our worship team? Is they are listening to what they're saying and they are proclaiming it forth for all of us. I think that's, that's what we do when we sing in worship. We'll talk a little bit more about singing in a moment, but let's continue on. In verse 12, Chronicles 16, it says this, So remember the wonders he has done, the mercies, the, the, his miracles, and the judgments he has pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. So it says, remember the things he has done. All the amazing, miraculous things, the judgments. Remember that we are his chosen people. Remember that he has done. This is, this is another command that's just repeated over and over and over in the Bible. Remember. Don't forget. Remember what he has done. Remind yourself of all that he's done in your life. Don't forget, replay the actions of faithfulness that he's done in you and through you. This is something that the Israelite people had to do because they constantly forgot. They constantly forgot that God had saved them, that God had chosen them, that God was redeeming them. So all over and over their leaders are saying, remember, remember, remember. When we worship, one of the ways we worship is by remembering. And when we worship, we are reminding ourselves of all that God has done. Look at this from 1 Samuel 7, verse 12. Uh, Samuel and the army of Israel has just defeated the Philistines, which was a way bigger army. And uh, what happens is uh, after, after they... Um, defeat the army. They want to give glory to God. So it says this, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Has anyone ever heard that, that uh, hymn, Come Thou Fount? Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's what this is talking about. Ebenezer is a word that means help. And so Samuel sets up this giant boulder that can be seen from a pretty far distance. And, it's, and he says, this is our stone of help to, to remember that thus far the Lord has helped us. And this isn't the only time they do it in, in Israel's history. They do this a few different times where they set up this big stone as a monument that God has done something great for us. And then it says that as people pass that way on their journeys, they would look out in the distance and they'd see this big boulder set up on one end and they would say that, see that, that is the Ebenezer stone. That is the reminder that God has helped us. And when we worship, we remember all the deeds of God on our behalf. Have you noticed our songs are full of them? They're full of them, right? All the acts that God has done through Christ for us, all the things he is doing and will do, we remember God's holy action on our, his saving action on our behalf. And that is so important because so often the only things we remember are the things that are just sort of right in front of us. We, we get lost, I get lost in sort of this self-centered stream of consciousness where, where I, I get to, have you ever done this where you get to the end of a day and a thought of God pops in your head and you go, whoa, I think that's the first time I've thought about God today. Have you ever had that experience before? Have you ever had this experience where you've had a really hard day at work or at school or whatever, and then some, at some point, for some reason, maybe you hear a worship song on the radio or someone says something to you, and you are reminded, oh yeah, God loves me and he's redeemed me and he's saved me, and the stress of the day sort of just lessens a little bit because you remember how good God is. That's what it's talking about here, to remember God. We come week after week, and you know what? Worship isn't just a Sunday thing. 
worship, singing out to the Lord, crying out to the Lord, lifting up the name of Jesus, speaking it out loud, remembering his works on our behalf, all turning to God, thinking about God, all these acts of worship become a lifestyle that happens day in and day out. And as every day you continue to remember and remind yourself of what God has done on your behalf, it interrupts that self-centered stream that we tend to all live in, and it begins to make us move through life in a totally different way. Worship begins to change us and change the way we live. It becomes a lifestyle. Remember what I said at the beginning? When you pull on the thread of worship in the scripture, you find that it's attached to everything. That's so true. It's not really an act, right? There are actions of worship. There are things we do as an act of worship. We serve as an act of worship. We do all these things as an act of worship. But really, worship is a lifestyle. It's an outlook. It's a mindset. It's a way of living and moving through the world that interrupts that self-centered stream of life and helps us remember what God has done on our behalf. Listen to this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. I have a friend who likes to say that the most important fact about any moment is that God is there. And when we worship, we pause, and all the things that are so urgent, we put them off to the side, and we remember. We remember all that God has done. And we actually sort of retell and relive the story of what he has done. This is also why we don't just keep it in our heads, but we bring physical action to it. We shout it out, we speak it out, we tell a friend, we proclaim it, or we sing it. Because it's important for us not just to go, oh yeah, God did that once, but to put ourselves in that moment and to bring it back into the world so we can relive that moment of God's faithfulness and it can begin to transform and to change us. So we, we, put, we put words to these things. We speak them out in real time and space. And when we're, when we're walking through our lives, we get so stuck in whatever's physically right in front of us. Have you noticed this? We might say my spiritual life is the most important part, but we're really just materialists. We walk around and the things that we focus on are, oh, I need to do that repair on that house and my phone is ringing right here and I need to do this thing at work or I need to hand this paper over here and then I need to drive down, oh, and that car's on my way right there. Everything that we think about and care about tends to be the physical reality in front of us. So when we worship, whether by proclaiming or shouting or singing or just speaking the name of Jesus out loud so that we remember all the things he's done, what we are doing is interrupting that stream of all the physical things just coming at us and we are putting into it the actions of God on our behalf. And suddenly, all the other physical things in front of my face, the cell phone, the cars, the, the repairs that I got to do on the house, the physical relationship with the person in front of me, it fades just a little bit. And we remember that God is not just somewhere deep in our hearts or somewhere way out there, but he's actually present physically with us right here in time and space just begins to change the way that we live as we remember day in, day out, and remind ourselves of what God has done. And let's skip down to verse 23 of Chronicles uh, 16. It says this, sing to the Lord. We talked about that a little bit. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deed among all the peoples. So sing it out, proclaim it, and declare it 
among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. What this is telling us is that part of our worship is for our own personal transformation, to keep God in the forefront, to remember what he's done, to bring to physical action what we believe is spiritually true, right? All of that is part of our worship. But our worship is also not just for our own sake. Our worship When we become a people who worship, or even just a person who worships, or a body of Christ who worships, who lives a lifestyle of praise and worship to God, we become a testimony to everybody around us who does not believe in God. It's like we become a giant pointer finger pointing to God. This is saying that one of our testimonies as to who God is and what he's about is our worship. Think about it this way. If God does not exist and he has not been so good to you, then to sing out in worship on a Sunday morning is lunacy. It's what crazy people do. If God does not exist and he has not been so good to you, then to, to, then to praise him out loud in prayer in your car on your drive to work is just talking to yourself. Is insanity. Is what again, what crazy people do. If God is not real and he has not been just so good to us, then to have joy at all is insanity. But when we worship and we remember and we renew our minds and our bodies and we we bring these truths to life and we worship God and we just praise him, we become a living testimony that God is real, that God has been good to us. And people around us begin to see that. And we start to give glory to God even among non-believers. Remember Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you are the light of, of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your works and glorify you. He doesn't say that, does he? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we live a lifestyle of worship where everything we do is to bring praise and honor and glory to him and we are reminding ourselves of these truths and we are living out, lifting up the name of Jesus. When we live that life, we become a city on a hill. We become a lamp on a stand where people see it and they glorify, they actually praise God who is in heaven. We become people that other people look at and glorify the God that we serve. We don't just worship for our own personal spiritual enrichment. We worship as a testimony and a witness to the world around us of who God is, that he is worthy of praise, and that he has done great things among us. It is through our worship, it is, hear this, it is through our worship, whether in song, shouting, praising, dancing, serving, it is through every act of worship, that it is through our worship that the world will come to know God. That's why we worship. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning and practice it together. It's why we always want to lift up the name of God in our lives. And then it goes on in verse 25. For great is the Lord. I love this. Sing, dance, shout, proclaim, shout, right? All this stuff he's saying. And then he says, why? For, verse 25, because great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, or you could say revered above all gods. For all gods of all the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Why worship? Because God is worthy of it. Because of just his very nature, he is worth it. 
I have a friend, uh, I, I run a Christian summer camp, and uh, I have a friend who came to visit that camp this week, and uh, he was a former staff member. Right now he's going to college, and he, uh, he was about, he's about to leave for college again this week for this year, uh, this year of school. And he was talking about how, I was like, how's it going? How's your experience in college so far? He was talking about how every morning at his university, they get up before class, and they go, all, everyone in the school, teachers, students, they come together, and they just worship. They sing, and they proclaim, and they pray, and they just worship God. And he says, you know, sometimes, especially like towards the Christmas break or like when, when, the, when it's rainy weather outside, like people are coming, they're just tired and they're kind of cranky and they're like, oh, I just want to be in bed. Why are we out here worshiping? He says, inevitably, as we start worshiping, somebody will just speak out and they will say, hey, you know what, guys, I can tell that we're all really tired and I can tell that we don't really necessarily want to be here, but I want you to know that even if we don't feel it, God is worth it. God deserves it. I just want to say that, and then let's continue as we worship. And then they'll continue in worship, and as they just recognize that they are worshiping, not because they're feeling something, but because he is worth it, they begin to engage, and their bodies and their, their minds and their spirits and their emotions begin to fall into line, and soon their whole being is just praising God. This is like the, the climax, the high point of worship theology. Why do we worship? Because he is worth it, which means this, you, if, if you don't feel it, if you don't feel like it in the moment, God is still good. Life might be crazy. It might be hard. You might be going, I can't really remember the good deeds of the Lord right now because I feel like he, I feel like he hasn't done any in a while. God is still worth it. He, his very character, his very nature, his very isness makes him worthy of all of our worship. And so we praise him because he's worth it. I love that the theme of, of VBS this week at Eastridge is going to be even though life is wild and it's hard, God is still good. If you struggle, if you struggle to know that that is true, pause whatever you're doing this week, volunteer at VBS, and I bet you anything you will encounter God in a new way. Because that's, that's the foundational truth of what we believe. No matter what's going on, no matter what I feel, God is worthy of my whole life praise. And you know what? As we begin to do that, as we begin to, begin to put aside everything and just say, I'm going to praise you just because you're worth it, God. I'm just going to praise you because you're worth it. As we begin to do that, we begin to encounter God for who he is. We begin to encounter God for who he is, and we can't help but be changed. Worship is your primary tool for spiritual transformation so that you look more like Jesus. I'm going to quote at length here from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers, especially in the area of um, spiritual formation, how to, how to become more like Christ. He says this, To think of God as he is, one cannot but lapse into worship. And worship is the single most powerful force in completing and sustaining restoration in the whole person. It puts into abeyance every evil tendency in every dimension of the self, spirit, soul, mind, body. It naturally arises from thinking rightly of God on the basis of revealed truth confirmed in experience. Astonished reverence is a good paraphrase for worship, as is admiration to the point of wonder and delight. He's quoting from A.W. Tozer right there. The first request in the Lord's Prayer is... Hallowed be thy name, or worshipped or honored be thy name. It is the first because it is the most important one. Hear this. To the extent that God is exalted in the minds of his people, and his very name is cherished with the utmost respect, everything else goes right. You can verify this experimentally in yourself. 
I love that he, t- he says, this is so important. It's, it's, this, is the, this is the foundational truth of everything we want to do as Christians. And if you don't believe me, just try it. You can verify it experimentally in yourself. When we lift up the name of God, when we, when we, when we worship him and we put him on the throne in our hearts and, and we, bring, we remind ourselves in, in, of all that he's done for us and we bring into physical reality these spiritual truths that we believe, when we do this, when we act out in worship, when we serve in worship, when we sing in worship, when we praise God, what happens is we begin to recognize who he is rightly. Right? He said, think of God rightly and you'll be inspired to worship him. We suddenly go, you know what, God? You're in control and I'm not. You know what, God? You are so good and I can trust you. You know what, God? You deserve my whole life. You know what, God? You, you can. You can help remove that habitual sin from my life. You can. It is through worship that we put God in his right place in our lives. And through that, you know what happens? We encounter God rightly. Because finally we're seeing him for who he is. Finally we're, we're encountering him for who he is. It's like that moment when you've known someone for years and suddenly you're like, I think I finally just figured out who this person is. We finally encounter God rightly. He becomes right-sized in our life. He becomes in, in the right position in our life and suddenly we can submit everything else to him and so we start actually looking more like Jesus through worship. Worship changes us. Why? Because when we put God on the throne we remember for who he is and, and, we, and we actually worship him and praise him because we are thinking of him rightly, what happens is we encounter the real living presence of God. Psalm 22 says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Or the old King James says he inhabits the praises of his people. When you worship, when you lift up God in your mind, in your heart, and with your body, when you praise him and exalt him, you have the opportunity. You're putting yourself in a posture where you can encounter the living God. And if you do that, how could you not be changed? This is why sometimes in worship, crazy supernatural things seem to happen. Like we, we might just feel a little tingle and feel like God just spoke something to us so clearly. Wow, that thought wasn't even in my head and then it came in my head and it was, I, I just know that was from the Spirit of God. Or it could be more physical. Sometimes in worship, right, we may, we, maybe you've heard stories of people's whole body being taken over by the Spirit. Maybe you've heard stories of people being healed in the, in the course of worship. How is that possible? That's crazy stuff. That's what makes Christians seem so weird. Yes, it is. Because when we worship, when we exalt God in this way, his actual living presence is here among us and anything could happen because he is inhabiting the praises of his people. When we gather together in real time and space and we sing out praise to God and we just lift him up because he is worth it, because he is worthy of it, anything could happen because God is here. His presence is dwelling among his people and we are letting God be who he is and letting him move as he would move in our lives. And then jumping down to verse 31, it says this, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. I love this. Heavens rejoice, earth be glad, sea resound, fields be jubilant, trees sing. 
I live, I live like way out in the woods, way out in Corbett, like 45 minutes from here. And I used to live in the middle of the city, which was also awesome. And now I live totally way out opposite, out in the woods. And I just love, I just love being out there and seeing the light and the trees and hearing the songs of birds in the morning and really just, just experiencing the creation that, that God has made. And you know what? Every single time, without fail, if I see the stars, if I hear the birds singing, if I, hear, if I just pause, if I just pause for a moment, I can just, I can just sense God being praised through everything he's made. What this, what this part of the scripture tells us is that praise, that worship, is actually the default mode of all of creation. It's woven into the fabric of the universe. God created all of creation, including you and I, to worship, to praise. When we worship, we are engaging in what the world was made to be, including what we were made to be. We are speaking our native tongue when we worship. Look at this from Luke chapter 19. This is a story about Jesus. It says this. When he came near the place where the road goes down into the Mount of Olives, that's Jesus, when he came down, the whole crowd of his disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're praising, they're worshiping. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They should not be praising you. That's reserved for God. And he says this, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus knew that he was the incarnation of the living God. And he says, you know what? You don't have to praise me. You don't have to glorify and worship me, but all of creation is going to. Because all of creation knows that I am the creator, that I am the king, that through all of time and space I exist to be worshipped, and that you have been created to reflect that worship back, that that is actually what we are made for, is to be caught up in the worship that is going on all around us. The scriptures say that eternally before the throne of God, the angels are praising him and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When we worship, we are engaging in that song that has always been going on, will always be going on, and the very thing that we are created to do, worship. Why do we worship? Because it is woven into the fabric of all of creation and of our very being. It's what we were made to do. So we worship we praise, and we speak our native tongue. It's not, it's not about doing something that's uncomfortable or new. It's about just releasing and going back to what we were always meant to be. And then in verse 36, it finishes up by saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. It's referring to the fact that worship of God has been going on time immemorial as far back as possibly imagined and farther. And it's referring to the fact that, that the destiny of all creation, all, all creation is heading towards one conclusion, and that is the praise of God, the glorifying of who he is. Look at this from Revelation chapter 4. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that is Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, 
amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. Why worship? Because it is our eternal destiny to worship. Why worship? Because that is where this is all going, to where we forget about ourselves and we are just caught up in all that God is. You know, in, in, in the book of Revelation, worship is a huge deal. People are just gathering around the throne and just praising God, just praising God, praising God over, just praising, praising, and worshiping him for all that he is. And, and that, that is what we're all headed towards. That is what our eternal destiny is if we are followers of Jesus. So when we praise now, what we're doing is we're bringing a little bit of that into here and now. C.S. Lewis says that heaven works backwards. And what he means is this. When we know what our destiny is, it begins to infuse our lives now. And we get these little moments where we're in our car and we're just praising. Or we're at church and we're singing. Or we're just on our knees in our living room. We're just praising God for who he is. We're just speaking out the name of Jesus. We get these little moments, these little windows where we go, oh, this is what heaven is like. Some of you who are like worshipers, who are already people who just love to live a lifestyle of worship, know what this feeling is like. There's nothing like it in the world. To be totally consumed, our whole being, mind, body, spirit, be consumed with who God is and to just rejoice and celebrate him. There's no feeling like that in the world. And it's where we're all going. It's what we all get to do. So as we begin to recognize that and we practice worship, that begins to break into our lives here and now individually and corporately. We begin to look like a redeemed revelation gathered around the throne community. And there's nothing more appealing for an unsaved world than that. And our lives begin to be consumed where, where there are moments when our whole being is just consumed with who God is and we are just celebrating him. We are just celebrating him fully with our whole being. That's what we're all moving towards. So why do we worship? Because worship is our eternal destiny. You know, in the book of Revelation, God is praised over and over. And he's praised for three things. He's praised for being three things. Creator, judge, and redeemer. Over and over in the book of Revelation, God is praised for creation, for creating us, for loving, having so much love in his being that he, out of the outpouring of his love, he created you and me and this whole world. And he's praised for being judged, that God is a God of justice, that the horrific evil things that we see in our world, that God cares, he knows, and he will set them right. He's praised for being redeemer, that through Jesus Christ and his blood and his death and resurrection, that we now have access to God to praise him and worship him. Those three things, if you're having trouble worshiping, if you're like, oh, I just, I'm not feeling it, I'm not, just take some time this week, maybe even as we sing a closing song, take some time to think about who God is as the creator. Just meditate on that, that he made you, that he made the world out of an excess of love. You're here because he wanted you here Take some, take some time to meditate on the fact that, that he is the righteous judge, that I don't have to judge anybody. I don't have to. It's up to him. I don't have to hold grudges. I don't have to hold unforgiveness. It's up to him. That all the evil things that have been done to me or that I've seen done to others, that God cares and he will set them right. And that God is redeemer, that he's made a way where there was no way for me to encounter him, engage with him, and be transformed through the practice of worship. There's a lot of different reasons why we worship. There's a lot of different ways to worship. Like I said, worship is more of a lifestyle or a mindset. But as we begin to understand what worship is, what it can do in our lives, 
there become moments, maybe at first just through singing corporately, but maybe later through just talking to God in your car or reminding yourself of his goodness, right? But there become moments in our lives when we, begin, we start to become worshiping people. We start to become worshipers. And our whole life begins to be consumed not with this or that thing that I'm worried about or wondering or stressed about or that this or that sin that I'm dealing with or whatever, but our whole life becomes consumed with God and how good he is, how he is worthy of praise. We become people who celebrate God day in, day out, over and over and over. And that's what we're created for. Ultimately, that's freedom, is to worship. And so uh, we're going to close with one final song here. And I encourage you just to think about, uh, before you sing, why? Why are you singing today? Why are you singing today? Is it because you like this song? It's a good reason. But is there something else that we heard from the scriptures today, right? Is there something else? You know, today I just want to sing because I want to take what I believe, this intangible truth I believe, and I want to bring it to reality and time and space. I want to sing. I want to use my voice, my body to sing. Maybe today, you know, today I I just want to sing to remind myself and everyone around me of everything God has done for me. Hallelujah. Maybe today you're going, you know what, today I'm not really feeling it. I'm tired. I'm sick. I don't like my singing voice. But I want to sing simply because he is worth it. Because of who he is, by nature he deserves it. Or maybe today you're just going, you know what, I just want to sing. I just want to sing this song because I know that one day I will be gathered around the throne of God totally consumed with his goodness and celebrating him for eternity. And then as you leave here today, throughout your week, what would happen if you began to to sprinkle in worship just a little bit each day, just in the car and on a walk and as you're falling asleep? What would happen if you just began to sprinkle in worship? And, and, And worship is distinct, right? We know when we're worshiping, right? Sometimes we ask God for stuff throughout the day. You might pray a lot. This is me. I pray a lot, but it's usually like, oh God, help me with this. Oh Jesus, please help me with this. I really need your help with this. Can you give me that? I need that right now. Can you give me that? What would happen if we began to be people who sprinkle throughout our day, God, you're just good. Oh, God, you've been so kind to me. Let me list a few ways. Or just walking through the day, walking from one place, from a car to the office, going, Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name, Jesus. The name that saves, Jesus. Or what would happen if we actually, like, in our cars, we sang out to the Lord? Just sprinkling in worship throughout our our days. I, I imagine, I bet you anything, that that would begin to transform the way you think and the way you live and ultimately just the way you are. It begin to make us new people. So let me pray for us and we'll close in worship on that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you uh, invite us to worship you. And that you don't just invite us to worship you because you're vain. You invite us to worship you because you're worthy. Because you absolutely deserve it. Because you're the source of everything good. And so, God, we just, we just celebrate you this morning. I just want to celebrate you in my life. Lord, as I go from here, as we go from here this morning, make us worshiping people. Make us people who go throughout our days just remembering you, singing to you, proclaiming you, lifting up your name, and calling you good and faithful. We love you, Jesus, and we, just, we put you on the throne of our hearts right now. Thank you for this morning. In your name, amen.